Straight Jack, episode 19. Brought to you this evening from Jewel Sites as we attempt to overcome physical interference to offer you a critical discussion of three films. One, a new release, which has a theme which stems from it, and a pre- and post-2000 selection. Our theme for this edition is coding. I mean co-breaking, which leads <laughs> us on to the contemporary selection chosen by James. <laughs> you can tell that you've been sat at home with your leg up with <laughs> yeah. nothing else to do except write a funny quip. And it wasn't even good. It's fine. Should we also explain, Ian, why you're not in the room with us? Yeah, I've, I've got a bad leg. I've had, to, I've had to go home to to mummy and daddy's house to uh, well, have my leg fixed. Rest up, be safe, and we'll crack on. <laughs> Martyrs. On, on to new release, which was James. Yes, which was Denis Villeneuve's arrival, the much-anticipated and critically acclaimed arrival, which tells the story of... Amy Adams's uh, Louise Banks, who is a uh, linguistics professor brought in by the government after an array of spaceships hover above, I think it's 12 locations around the world, and they need to find a way of communicating with them. I think, I don't know, I've said this before, but the opening six minutes of oh. Arrival <laughs> are up there with the opening six minutes of Up. I, I honestly almost think? shed it. It's the closest I've come to crying in a cinema in 15 years. Yeah, it is It is sad. And I don't think... I, and I think we can talk about it because it's it's so early on, it's not a spoiler, I'd say. So Louise Banks loses her daughter very early on in the film and the journey that that takes us on immediately makes us care about her. I, I assume that's, that's its... That's its purpose, purpose. That's its purpose, yeah. exactly. But it, it really worked on me. And for the next two hours, I was thoroughly interested to see where where the story went and where the characters ended up. I think it's it, it helps that, that Amy Adams is just so good at, at that. I mean, it's it's a quite an understated performance in the way that there it, there's not a lot of these typical Oscar Beatty glory moments where she is completely overacting. It's relatively understated and just quite a normal, natural performance and for me that's what I liked about the film is that it feels quite realistic and I know that sounds a bit stupid but when you think about a lot of these films where they do delve into what would you do if aliens land on earth and it typically means us blowing the, sh- the oh that was close <laughs> um, it typically means we we fight them and that, that seems to be our automatic sort of set mode whenever whenever an alien or something alien to us lands on earth whereas actually this felt real it felt like you know this it's is far the way more that's, grounded, isn't it? Yeah, this is the way society would react. This is how the geopolitical community would react to something like this happening, and and that's that's one of the things I I really did appreciate and like about this film. See, I, I was I was a bit dubious the, from the, this first six minutes. I was I did enjoy, it and straight away that that's I think it's not Carl Carlson, Johan Johansson is that his name? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who, did, who did the score? It's absolute. I mean, straight away you are in mm. with it. I mean, it did sound a little bit like the uh, the interstellar uh yeah. soundtrack the Hans Zimmer just ever so slightly but that I mean it did its purpose you're completely in and I was a bit like is this what this is going to be about you know starting with a, a sob story and going to rely on that to pull the heartstrings but as the film progresses you realize just how warranted and how authentic this scene is and how important it is it ends up being sort of the whole the whole story yeah, I agree. I think, uh, like you mentioned, the score, it's the, it's the biggest note I have. And I'm not sure it carries the film, but it, it really makes it that much better. 
and it's it's reprise is that the word where it where it keeps coming back in uh, especially towards the end really worked really well it has a fantastic first half for me i mean to, to give a bit of context behind that i i'd only seen good things about this film and again i think i've fallen into the trap of of therefore expecting it to be an absolute five-star classic but for me it's uh, it has a fantastic first half there's one helicopter scene probably half an hour in maybe maybe not even that i think half an hour in when it, you are essentially go so it's for, for essentially first contact or at least the first time that that louise banks so amy adams's character and then jeremy renner's character arrive at you know a base camp set up just below the the spaceship that that obviously america uh, are trying to deal with and and that scene standalone is fantastic it's sort of comes from from afar comes into the camp swings back around again you just get the enormity of of the operation that is being built here and that is, is that just you see fantastic the, is that where you see the build-up of the traffic and all the people sort of desperate to either get in or get close to it exactly yeah i mean it's, it's another cracking villeneuve traffic jam scene absolutely <laughs> oh don't get me sad but you guys are speaking like there's a point where the wheels fall off the bus on this i mean I, I feel that. I mean, I'm not, a, sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Robbie it does. just starts to dither, but up until the point sort of the the creatures are sort of introduced, obviously it keeps your intrigue. And I almost felt like it blew its load a little bit too early by showing them sort of fairly fairly early in, maybe like a third in. It just keeps building, and then it goes, okay, we've shown them now. We're going to go do what some would accuse Midnight Special of not doing, and we will show our workings out and we will show we will almost do a little bit of a spotlight and we'll show the people working and how science like the martian the success of the martian how the science behind it can be enthralling itself and how they try to solve this puzzle and then it just obviously gets into 2001 space odyssey territory and then it just the lid blows off and it becomes something way more than i certainly was expecting I think I think you've sort of nailed it there. I hadn't even thought of that. Most sci-fi films, unless they're horror, of the horror genre, they really tend to blow their load towards the end, where they reveal the alien. And yeah, and it's this, almost it, always a letdown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Midnight Special, but the way that this uh, this this happens really early on, but it still kept me going till the end, despite the rest of the film being quite honestly quite predictable for me. All of it, or just um, the central relationship? Cent- yeah, central relationship, but also, yeah, I get maybe central relationship more so than most of it. Because that's what, because it, it, that was what really sort of took my breath away and did. But then the way in which sort of all the signs and the symbols sort of all, as that all sort of got blended together, I thought that was, I certainly didn't see it all transpiring exactly as it did. But that, if you've got anything to say about that, that does lead me on to my only gripe about the thing. The last three, four minutes, which I totally understand, but I'd already, we were already there. And then they sort of went, just in case, yeah. here's the answer anyway. It's like, oh, everyone at uh, sports day gets to take home a medal. No, you didn't win any of the races. You don't get a medal. Like they've just given, they've just spoon fed for me and that it I still was completely blown away but I did feel like they did soften the power everything that they worked so hard to create by I think is it the final few lines of dialogue yeah, uh, I think the final line of dialogue is terrible I agree yeah it did take the shine off it just a little bit for me the last sort of five minutes 
Yeah, and I think just just before I, I sort of follow up on that in terms of some of the some of the negatives, I think for me the thing that I I, I really did find fascinating and I really enjoyed about this film was just how. I suppose how it managed to sort of deconstruct language for the for for a layperson like me who's not a linguist, you know, don't put yourself down, James, but you know, isn't something <laughs> uh, isn't someone who completely understands the dynamics of communication and, and what it requires. And you know, I see communication as just what we're doing right now, being able to speak, but actually, everything that goes on behind that and and how we construct our language is so important. And I didn't really realise that until it really broke it down f- for us. And I think there's that there's that one scene where. You know, she writes the the question. Uh, I think it is, "What is your purpose on Earth?" That's the question that we want out of these um, out of these aliens or whatever it is that we want to call them. Uh, and she's trying to take Forrest Whitaker's character through that and says, "So this is what you want to know," but they don't understand this word. Not only can we not translate it into whatever language they they have, we've got to start completely again. They don't understand what what a question mark means. They don't understand what your means. They need to understand what what that means I thought that's what I that scene for me was was probably my favourite scene other than the helicopter one I've already mentioned it's that idea of you know if a lion could speak we wouldn't understand what it's saying that there is that sort of sociological meaning behind the way that we communicate and then there's sort of Jeremy Renner's character who comes at it from a more sort of a mathematical point of view and I did think at one point I thought he's going to be the real renegade isn't he he's going to come in and he's going to go well, no we're going to do it my way we're going to change it <laughs> we're, we're, he's going to be this this obstacle that Amy Adams's character's got to overcome but actually they downplayed that if anything which I which I enjoyed they restrained that a bit more than what I thought they were going to do and maybe I was just being pessimistic to start with but I liked that they didn't play up that rather hokey way of of how most films like this probably would have done so and then I think when we talk about communication it's it's a film absolutely about communication and yet there is that sort of epitome of irony in the middle where all the countries stop communicating with each other and you think I mean that could not be a better microcosm of of the word communication and what it means than the, this the word. political allegory is there isn't it yeah that scene you sort of look you're screaming at them going can't obviously as the audience that's how they want you to to feel but you're going can't you see that if you all come on if we all sit down and work together surely that makes the most sense yeah but I think that's testament to the rest of the film how it builds up towards that kind of crescendo or at least it gives you and this maybe for me having not known the ending having not known where this was going to go this is a rare film where I actually felt the threat there I suppose of what would happen if diplomacy didn't rule and and the country started talking to each other I felt the threat of something bad is going to happen here and we've seen bad things happening in all of these type of films as I mentioned earlier you've got so many examples of these films where you know they we start attacking each other and actually the aliens are here to destroy us etc 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 and it's so easy for those films I never feel an ounce of, of threat whatsoever in those films whereas in this film because it was so slowly played and you thought building up this tension and building up this atmosphere you did have that that tension at the end of is is are things about to explode or, or are they just about to throw sort of the uh, the, the, the suppressant over the um, over the flame kind of thing? So I, I I did I can only commend it for that. They did definitely, like you say, they did address that sort of expectation when quite near the end the the weapons became a very key word that they were sort of trying to translate, and it did threaten to go that way. But then it proved that it had a lot more, and then it went back into. The central theme of communication and that's when it really started to weave that kind of complex tapestry and i think the script here is like it, it is key isn't it it's it's not like those other films that have just gone cool alien comes to earth for x reason yeah we attack it explosions and drama ensues that'll do like they've given it so much more thought than a lot of the sort of 
the three star films in this genre to be honest oh I'm gonna hate to break it <laughs> <laughs> have you got any I just want to say one or two sort of like comparisons I mean obviously with the communication they took the simplicity of Close Encounters and made that so much more complicated instead of just using lights they found this other way of presenting that idea which obviously has been pretty impressive and is uh, sort of in pop culture like it's been referenced numerous times and then the th- yeah the film certainly that I thought this was closest to with was Soderbergh's Solaris it's also about feeling of loss and Cliff Martinez I think <laughs> Johan Johansson was certainly inspired by Cliff's score to that movie where it's a similar length they have a lot of similar themes of loss and it's all about how the sound just sort of merges and is 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 almost more important than sort of a lot of the performances um and of course i think recently uh, how would you feel this compares to the far bigger budget interstellar would you say this gives it good competition well it's, it's interesting actually and, and this will probably quite segue quite nicely into sort of closing remarks because for me i can i absolutely adore and praise the ambition of this film and and as i've mentioned to both of you Villeneuve is probably whether he's one of my favourite directors of, of recent years he's certainly produced some of my favourite films of, of the last few years when I think about Sicario and Prisoners and and even Enemy is is unique and you know thought-provoking in, in its own way and so I can absolutely praise the ambition here but it, it did go in a direction which I which I personally didn't think it necessarily needed to I, again I commend it on, on going there and I think for me this film is definitely going to grow on me I've already felt it grow on me but there is for me, the, the one scene in here which completely epitomises why this isn't a four or a five star film for me is when, and I won't go into too much detail, but let's say when she goes lone wolf a little bit and, and, and tries addressing the the UFO alone and they sort of welcome her in is a really bizarre, like dreamlike sequence. Absolutely hated that scene. And that scene for me completely took me out of the film i thought the film up no. until that point was almost uh, <laughs> almost perfect and then that happened i thought what have you done a real misstep again for me i can tell ian on the line um can <laughs> we can fun- we mute him mute oh, it's fantastic it's because you're you're constantly going because there have been a few dreams and yeah. you're going is this another dream i don't know but that was that was probably the knockout scene for me i have my it's breath a- and like you very much it seems it pit- it pinned on that it's amazing how sort of at the crossroads you went one way and I went I went the other <laughs> way. But I mean, yeah. as I say, for me, it's still it's still a very very good film. And as I say, I think it will it will grow on me. And that's why I wanted to make the, the sort of pick you up on that comparison to Interstellar because for me, the first time I watched Interstellar, I had very similar experiences with this where I was absolutely on board for a long long time, and then all of a sudden it lost me. And maybe this is to my own disservice really that I. I was too affected by that to the point where I, I emotionally detached from the film and, and sort of completely disengaged with it and, and as a result thought Interstellar was was onto something and then sort of collapsed and I thought oh that's such a shame Rewatched Interstellar and for me it's a 5 out of 5 it's, it's one of my favourite films of the last sort of 5-10 years or whenever it, whenever it came out and I, I feel very similarly about Arrival I was absolutely on board loved it and then it, it just went somewhere which I couldn't go along with it but I feel, and I'm excited by re-watching this to see if it takes me down similar experiences that I did with Interstellar and actually I find it's a much better film than, than what I thought it was. This, this is a five-star film in a couple of years, but for now I can only go on, on how, I'm, how I'm feeling at the moment and having only seen it once, and it's still being relatively raw in, my, in sort of my, my mind, it's a three-star film. 
I know. I apologise. I follow. I'm so glad you're not here, so I can't see the look of disappointment on your face. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. I think it's it's quite easy to mistake a film that that you leave the cinema still thinking about for a really good film. It's mm-hmm. however, this is a really good film, but it isn't a masterpiece. It's it it needs that extra step to just to make it something. I don't know if it just felt unoriginal or or what. It was a it was a fresh take on what I felt like is already quite an overdone narrative, I guess. But still, I left the cinema shaking. I thought I I thought it was brilliant. So yeah, four for me. I didn't think it was unoriginal. That's interesting. I did, and again, you mentioned Ian. You mentioned a few films earlier, which I'll be honest, Interstellar was the only one of which I I've seen. So I don't. Maybe that's why because I haven't seen enough to to call this to, to to be able to call it unique. But I did feel that it was something I hadn't seen before. It's a good. Uh, amalgamation of quite a lot of quite common and recurrent sort of sci-fi themes. I mean, since 2001, everyone has taken a bit from it, a little bite, and then sort of tried to make it their own. And yeah, this is a combination of quite, I mean, even films up until recently, films like Monsters, this certainly Mm. borrows from to an extent. You've got Monsters, Close Encounters, obviously 2001, and yeah, sonically Solaris for me, but yeah, I mean, I can imagine, I can imagine Nolan walking out of this. I mean, no, because he's probably wearing a very nice suit and probably having a lovely time, but sort of going, oh, they did that with like 45 minutes less and managed to make the ideas come across so that most people can understand them and also just strip it back and you don't need all the, as many fancy bells and whistles. I just think this is, it's so good. It's so good, but... I've been battling with myself, but I think it is just a really, really good four. Certainly one of the best of the year so far. So Zodiac, which tells the story of the Zodiac killer, of infamous San Francisco-based serial killer from the late 60s and 70s, from the point of view of a cartoonist, Robert Grayson? Smith. Robert Graysmith. Played by Jake G, who has pretty much knocked every film, every performance since Zodiac out of the park. Mm. He is bang on form. Agreed. So Zodiac, guys, what did you think? Dark, obsessive and disturbing. The jewel in Finch's atmospheric, rigorous and bloody crown is what I've got here. And it is, it's just this, everyone is obsessed with this. Whether it is the killer, whether it is the cartoonist, whether it is the reporter, whether it is the detective. The biggest inspiration was, it's pretty obvious, was all the president's men as we watched this process. It's just the way, and I gather as well through my bit of my own research that Fincher himself spent, I think, a year and a half with his team and with his screenwriter, not only just going through and chatting with Graysmith and going through the book, combing through it, but doing their own research. They met the survivors, the two male survivors. They met other family members and if they ever got two conflicting reports, they then went back to the police reports. They went through the same files that Graysmith went through in order, because he said they grew up, I think, in Northern California. Or he certainly spent a lot of time there in his youth, and it was a big thing. And he thought if he's going to implicate someone, he wanted to have real evidence that he was going to insinuate. Because imagine you being a family member of this Arthur Lee Allen, and there's obviously some implications there. 
it's a two and a half hour long film and you don't even think to check your phone or check the time until you're already like an hour and a half in you're going how has that gone in five seconds like it's the opening half an hour with has quite a few of the really good set pieces the, the murders yeah. and the, it, it, the soundtrack that puts you in the zeitgeist I mean that opening scene and the use of hurdy-gurdy man yeah. is just unshakable it's sends chills down his spine and I, I've not it's what nine years since I saw it at the cinema now and I cannot have not been able to get that opening scene and many of the scenes and that the use of music in the opening scene and final scene ever forget it it's 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 perfect it's perfect it's it is brutal at times the uh the, that opening scene and the lake scene yeah the murder uh, scenes in general the murder and really, the ba- yeah. I mean even when there isn't a murder the yeah. lady and her baby uh, it, sends I mean, tingles not, down your arm down the back of your neck it, before before I forget to mention it but, I mean, but that's not the scariest scene the scariest scene comes when nothing happens and you're in a basement, basement. with an old man in a cardi and the way that that scene turns and goes from being a man in a cardi making the tea to sending chills and you just watch Gyllenhaal react to this line of dialogue it's giving me goosebumps now thinking about it it's quite unbelievable isn't it I, I you know I mean we could basically be saying the same things I mean I'm completely in, in agreement <laughs> with with what you're talking about I mean you, you talked earlier about set pieces and for me you know you've got the basement scene you've got the the, the the classic Fincher scenes where it's raining and it's dark and you know the scenes like you see in Seven as well where you've got the characters just I mean not only is the is, is the weather dripping but also the, the, the cinematography and, and some of the scenes here are just oozing and, and dripping just beauty I mean it's just such a fantastic dark atmospheric eerie film and the, yeah I mean the basement scene you've got the scene when Jake Gyllenhaal's at, Mark, uh, at Detective Dave Toshi played by Mark Ruffalo played brilliantly by by Mark Ruffalo's door and he's talking about Arthur Lee Allen and you just think oh, oh, what a fantastic scene that is the killing scenes as we've already said the first scene as well I know we, I don't want to pretend this film is just a, you know a lot of set pieces joined together in, in a in a rather heavy-handed way it's not it's so much more sort of smooth than that but the scene where they first meet Arthur Lee Allen as well and and you know yeah. they're all sitting in there and waiting for him and then you know he's not there and, and the guy sort of the um, the foreman goes and gets Arthur Lee Allen and you sort of see him sort of like an elephant just sort of plod his way towards the towards the um, to, towards the room and then he sits there with them and not only are they really inspecting him for absolutely everything but you are as well you're trying to find any fault in his speech in any way that he moves his mannerisms his confidence his the way his he's shoes. covering up his watch yeah I oh, realised on this on this viewing I had no idea that he he was actively covering it up yeah and, and he is quite charming and one minute he is smiling and he's all oh yeah anything I can do and then it just turns and he begrudgingly hands the watch over doesn't he yeah and, and at that point you think right got him we found him it's, it's done it's confirmed and you realise <laughs> it's about an hour in and you're thinking hold on where where else is this film going to go and I think some of the criticisms which I mean I'm, I'm intrigued to see what your, what your criticisms are and but I, I, I can't imagine they would fall into this camp but a lot of the criticisms are around oh well it's it's too long or it's it's lacking any, any action or it doesn't really have a plot it doesn't really have an ending now for me, that is that's a, that's an issue with the story and with real life facts rather than the film itself. And I don't know whether you're going to go into that, but for me, that's that's an invalid criticism because you're basically saying, oh well, that that happened in real life, but that's not how you should have done the film, kind of thing. And I, and I don't think that would be 
relevant. I think Fincher has done a fantastic job of of portraying the characters, the story, the evidence, what they had in in, in his in I suppose the most rational and conclusive, inconclusive way possible. And and for me, that's to be commended. I on my first watch, when I was convinced that this was a one one star, two star film. No, no, sorry, let's pick up on that. Even after your first watch, you can't think this is a one star or a two star film. I felt like the movie for for two and a half hours of quite frankly nail biting on on the edge of your seat cinema, the the crescendo into the absolutely empty ending was really disappointing and really really quite frankly unacceptable <laughs> however <laughs> on the second viewing ludicrous i realized that i was very very wrong and to be fair i wasn't i mean i wasn't the only one who thought that as james said critics and all of yeah. my friends who i lent the yeah, movie my to my family have said the same uh, very disappointed in the ending yeah. but kids that's life the ending look the ending. in an ideal world the killer gets caught great however he hasn't. You can't make up an ending to to this film, can you? Or as much as they try and convince mm. you that it was, is it Arthur Leanne? Arthur Leanne, yeah. As as much as this film does try and round that down your throat, and I think too much at times for me, it it may not have been. You can't ignore that fact. Not, th- not you, I mean generally. No, no I, I agree. I, I, but I think for me, it reflects the characters in the film want really wanting it to be him. They they really struggle with this case. They really. It was clear that they had no... All they had was circumstantial evidence. They didn't have any evidence which absolutely tied someone to the crime. And yet you had this person who had so much circumstantial evidence pointing at him that you couldn't help but feel that it wasn't just circumstantial, if you know what I mean. It wasn't just a coincidence. That, that <laughs> there it, was too that many was, yeah. right-size shoes, right-size gloves, bloody knives and all the rest of it. You just thought it, it, ha- it had to be this guy. And for me, the ending... I mean, I, I can absolutely un- understand why people are saying that it wasn't a satisfactory ending. And, and, and to be fair, you know, as you said yourself, Robbie, the plot, the, the, the story itself didn't have a satisfactory ending. That's the frustration with perhaps with, with law enforcement and with, with terrible atrocities like this is sometimes justice isn't always found. But for me, there's there's a nice little setup halfway through where Jake Gyllenhaal says, you know what, I just need to look into the person's eyes and, and just know that it was that it was them. And and for me, that's the perfect setup to provide a little bit of closure. Not the closure we all, as, as punters, as well as human beings would have wanted, but it provided enough closure to say that was enough of an ending for me to be satisfied coming out at the end of this film other than obviously then the text that you receive at the end of, after the credit or at the end and I think had it been as simple as that and had that been the ending I would have been a lot more sold on this film but I do feel like it did border on trying to convince the audience that this guy is guilty there are quite quite convincing counter arguments where they say about the DNA on envelopes not being his and handwriting not being his which they sort of brush over and I feel like this is coming to my reason why it's not a five-star film. Unfortunately, as much as I love David Fincher, slightly manufactured and slightly Hollywood. And I definitely got that from, from the basement scene as well. When you think about it, the basement scene was almost completely unnecessary to the story. All it was... No, all well, it, no it, was one of the, it was one of the big leads, wasn't it? Because by that point, he, he, was de- he was following like the Rick Marshall lead and he had to follow it. He had, he'd heard about this mythical canister... And now he couldn't ignore that, so he had to go. And I thought that was interesting how they didn't just cover Arthur Lee and just... That would have been the pitfall. Instead, they did have another reasonable suspect, and that's why he went to that guy. That's why I thought that was so important, as it it didn't just fixate on the key suspect. And 
apologies because I I didn't do my my full work on this because I didn't rewatch this because I've seen it probably three or four times. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm pretty sure up until this point he had received a few anonymous breathing down the phone calls that, that yeah. indicated some sort of threat and, mm-hmm. and and to him. Whereas this scene for me really was was pivotal in the way that it said, look. This guy, he he is a threat. I mean, his life is in danger because of what he's trying to uncover here. The the Zodiac killer has not been found. Robert Graysmith, who is completely untrained to try and find and deal with such a character, is is doing it himself all on his own, completely against or, or, or certainly not you know misaligned with what the police are doing. This guy, this guy is is going could well be targeted and is a threat. And for me, that scene, even though in a way it was completely harmless, actually said, look, Robert Graysmith is you know he's barking up a tree which could potentially fall on top of him it built the atmosphere and it built the suspense of what was to come so it almost sort of laid the foundations of of probably the last hour or, or of the film finch hasn't made an out and out horror film and that is comfortably i'd say the scariest scene that that he's ever sort of done and it was just i think it was just great to see that he could scare in a film that off the face we haven't seen that much action we've seen these murders that were isolated they were set pieces they were separate from a lot of the other people at the center of the story but that scene just proves that if he when he wants to when he turns it on he he can have nothing scare the living daylights out of you and ramp it up i think uh, you need to watch seven again mate for sure is that what you were saying yeah i was gonna say seven i mean there's this scene could fit in seven yeah but i mean like i like i was saying it it felt like they forced another suspect i i felt like Fincher wanted that scene in the film and he needed that scene to serve a purpose just like you guys are saying however I felt for a film that felt so factual throughout it almost created this scene which I felt like it wasn't truthful I'm not sure if it was or not but I wouldn't be surprised if Fincher's thrown it in there to make you feel all these things I honestly don't know if Robert Graysmith went into a basement with this guy who suddenly turned into a suspect when he was down there no no I can imagine you can imagine him looking at the posters and sort of going you know because it's the line of dialogue is so nonchalant it doesn't you could he could have read that and just thought oh wait a minute that meeting happened but i'll just there's a, he's found a way to create such dread out of seemingly such a sort of yeah plain just a normal line of dialogue just to cap off my criticisms it is too long it's, <laughs> it's too it's, short. It's one and a half hours. Two, it's far too short. One and a half far hours. too short. What are you going to say? It's one and a half hours. <laughs> no, no, no. The first one and a half hours, like that. And then there I was sat there thinking it was it was brilliant. It was beautifully paced. And how I hate with office desk thrillers. This all president's men and spotlight are key examples. They always seem to go into the people's personal lives and I'm a fax man I don't I don't really need to know about <laughs> about kids and, uh, and wives uh, and unfortunately the second half went into that too much for me and obviously Avery's character as well uh, how it's affected his life and that's just not my it's not my cup of tea and it's it's fine for a film and it appe- appeals to some people maybe not to me There there is a bit it's quite obvious not that the film split into two halves but there's a bit when it skips forward quite a few years and it's represented in the building of that San Francisco tower mm. and it basically says look we were here and now we're what here what a beautiful shot what a fantastic yeah fantastic I don't know how they did that retrospectively but yeah I mean that's a fantastic scene to basically because it's difficult to do that it's difficult to say we were here this is everything that we knew about this case and you pretty much lived sort of day in day out and then all of a sudden you're skipping you know 900 or days or however many days they, they skipped forward and all of a sudden you're then transported into this 
future i mean not not too far into the future but you know a few years later and and you you sort of pick up with it again and i can understand at that point if someone goes oh man this has been a pretty sort of draining and intense journey so far and there's a sort of very brief reprieve from that in terms of that little one sort of scene and then all of a sudden you're bam you're straight back into it the characters have moved on a little bit and it it dials it down again and then it's got to pick up the momentum that perhaps it lost in that scene but for me i was just fascinated to see where this where this was going to go i mean for me the performances are are great i mean it's a fantastic cast anyway let's be honest but you know downey's good jake g's good ruffalo i mean and that's that was it that was going to be the crescendo you know ruffalo was was fantastic i mean dave tosh he steals it he does and he's always he was always sort of not a bit part actor but he's always been a solid actor who's been in sort of good performances but small performances in 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 larger films or big performances in small films you think actually yeah no this this guy is he does steal this this and he completely embodies that character i don't know dave sloshy but i feel like i do you know the whole idea with the sandwiches and how ocd is with them and and his animal crackers and things like that and you thought i love it when he just embodies a character yeah it's just top to bottom it's flawless isn't it casting wise well yeah and for me flawless in terms of the film as well i mean i absolutely talked enough about this to to realize where i'm where i'm going in regards to my my ratings ian you mentioned it right at the top about comparisons to all the president's men which i think i've mentioned before is possibly one of my you know in my top 10 i mean i absolutely adore that film and and for me this this runs it very close which is the biggest compliment i can pay it it's a for me it's a five-star film i i am a bit of a, a fincher connoisseur and enthusiast so i'm always going to have a bit of a halo effect of this films but for me this this perfectly warrants it and is a uh, absolute perfection five-star film yeah I, I i think this is better than all that i think this takes all the president's men and for me su- surpasses it and is comfortably fincher's best in in my eyes yeah just it's just it's everything that he does best so well mixed with some of the very best performances and I mean, I've never spent £20 on two soundtracks before just to <laughs> listen to them on loop, just to try and go back into that world. And again, James, yeah, I, I mean, I obviously can't read, but I did I did buy the book as well. And I've never been so caught up in, in ages reading up about the case. And every time I've rewatched it, I've got that obsession that Jake has just to know more, even if it is how many steps it is from the killer's house to Darlene's. And, you know, there's so many little touches and parts of the true case that Fincher just brings to light in such a cinematic way. And I would thoroughly recommend the, I think it's only like 10 minutes longer, but the director's cut has even more for you to drink up, Robbie. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's perfection and one of the very best of the 21st. And yeah, five stars. It's not my kind of film, but I do agree with you. It's the best of its kind. Also huge David Fincher fan. And it's a very high three for me. I want to round it up, but I can't just because I didn't enjoy it enough. I didn't enjoy it as much as Arrival, and I know you shouldn't compare films, but it's easy to. I mean, that's what we're trying to do, I suppose. Today, yeah, I guess so. It's fair. I've I've got one note for Ghost in the Shell. Oh, okay. I hope you've got a lot. Well, Ian's got one hell of a start. And on to the pre two thousand, we have directed by Mamamoro Ushi, Ghost in the Shell, and based on the manga of the same name. Uh, it's quite a dense and convoluted plot, but I'll go for it follows the search for a hacker who's called the Puppet Master, who has been sort of ghost hacking and drawing the attention of various political factions in these the different sectors within this dystopian, fictionalised Hong Kong, I believe, even though it's Japanese, it's, I believe it's based in Hong Kong. 
Um, and this group of humans, cyborgs, half cyborgs, half humans, led by Kuasangi, sort of delve deeper to try and find this this mysterious ghost hacker and the form of which the physical form of which the hacker takes and its power that is unearthed sort of yeah uncovers an uncertain future for kusanagi as she sort of yeah tries to find her own way in this very weird technologically obsessed world <laughs> did you guys know what was going on whatsoever? <laughs> yeah that's that's a great great introduction to a film with which my only note is it's an 80 minute film and it felt like there was a really really deep background and kind of story and narrative here which just i'm not sure if it's because i'm a little bit slow or if it just completely passed me by it was it really was quite bizarre I, di- I really didn't know what was going on quite a lot of the time it was it was tricky wasn't it i mean it, obviously this is the, the first film based on the manga and i think there was a lot of a lot of it before so obviously it was made for fans it was made for sort of fans of it and they would know a lot more of the backstory and yeah for an 80 minute film i think they just tried to fit a lot there's a lot here isn't there there is yeah i suppose there was a lot more than i thought there'd be i mean hold my hands up this is the first anime film i've ever seen so other than congratulations congratulations uh, yeah other than pokemon and the moomins maybe when i was younger i mean i can't think of along those lines i don't really know but yeah it's my first uh, i suppose adult <laughs> there are some very adult parts of uh of, of of this film but yeah my first anime and, and so for me it was it was a bit of an experience really trying to get to grips with what was as you've already said quite a complex plot but then also you know they they don't have facial expressions they don't really have body language so so dialogue and and the score as well you know is was a little on the nose and, and explanatory if you know what I mean so it wasn't quite there wasn't that much exposition but there was a lot of explaining going on which helped because you forget how much you rely on on the way people say things or uh, in terms of you know their their facial expressions and their body language and you forget how much you rely upon that when you're watching a live action film so I'm going to be intrigued to see what old Scarlet Joe and and the and the live action crew do for 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 the the adaptation of this film because that was one thing that I struggled with initially i think i got to grips with it i mean to initially you have to sort of concentrate so hard on, on the words because you can't you can get how they enunciate it but it's the words themselves that often are are pretty much explaining the plot rather than alluding to anything i but think it, i think that's uh it's quite key there are some quite deep political conversations that i had mm-hmm. that there is no way Hollywood will stand would stand for it. There's a lot of standing around talking, especially in the opening half an hour, mm. which uh, the adaptation will just scrap and find a way to explain it through people running around and punching each other. Yeah, and to be fair, maybe you know, as as Ian's already mentioned, they are cyborgs, or some of them certainly are anyway. And I suppose the idea behind that is they don't necessarily have the emotional connection that 100% humans would. So whilst 100% humans might not. Expl- you know a little bit think back to Starman just says what he thinks or, or not necessarily thinks because I know the AI is, is a tricky issue but you know doesn't necessarily have the context of wh- am I thinking human this filter, should I say isn't it? yeah it's, that's a perfect way to put it human filter which they don't have so maybe that's why maybe that's the excuse they use they say well they are explaining everything because they're saying everything they think they're not filtering out some of the some of the stuff that we wouldn't say ourselves so maybe that maybe that's why but it it, it is so it is it is different in that way but for me there are still some of the the same tropes of of sort of that sort of love and and action when it comes to these kind of films you've got 
someone doing a dramatic u-turn in a car and almost splashing someone by the side of the road you've got someone running out of ammo at a very difficult time you know needing to overcome all sorts of adversity you know the hero saving the day at a very very convenient time and little quips you know there's little things where almost like James Bond-esque where they reload and then they say they say something think, if you're in the heat of a battle you would never just pause and say this very cheesy line locked but, and loaded yeah they, they still have a few of those which which probably helps a western audience and someone like me who's new to anime sort of get into it because there is some difficult parts to this so maybe it helps to as a bit of a bridge over from live action to anime it says you know what I'll help you a little bit here you're quite right in that because you just raised a very interesting point that I haven't considered it's who this is for because this is not really for like I mean I watched it with the subtitles as I've sort of always watched sort of anime it just feels a bit more authentic without hearing some western voice jabbering on I assume that's um, how we all saw it is, is, is there an English dub version? I mean I, I had it on DVD and on Netflix you have an option of an English language without subtitles oh, dubbed. yeah I, I, I had it dubbed it's but who it's for as James said is is quite interesting because it's it seems like a, a fanboy it's for people that obviously are already quite aware of who these characters are where they're coming through, from and what's going on and the only other film of this sort of type that I've seen was uh, was Akira because this is this is light years this is very different to Studio Ghibli and I think the anime that most of the, certainly the Western world are sort of more attuned to, I've sort of seen more of. And this is this bleak, gritty, sort of noir, dystopian sci-fi. It's This film reminded me most of, of Blade Runner. I don't mm-hmm. know if any of you guys got any of that, but just the sort of the dark streets, these cyborgs, these humans, they're all sort of having these almost existential especially the lead character does have a very big existential crisis in the center of it and just sort of is like well what's the what's the point and without giving anything away towards the end the ghost hacker has a similar realization like i am exactly that i am almost a ghost i'm not mortal like i i can't die and what is what is the point in anything it does sort of ring true in a similar way that sort of Deckard in Blade Runner did you were there any other I think good comparisons that you guys no comparisons but I think tonally I think you've got it spot on I do think that it, it does uphold to the sort of um, there's not a lot going on in, especially with the with the sound that if there's if there's someone running through through water all you'll hear are the is the splashing of her feet you won't hear the the busy busy cars in the background or, or mm. it's it's really quite minimalist and it's it, really it quite an bleak in, yeah it's really interesting bleak quality. they seem to do it with ghibli as well quite a lot if you if you have a listen i'm not entirely sure the reason for it i'm not sure if it's um just a sort of a trait that this kind of film has uh, but i always find it quite interesting it's a motive isn't it because it especially when they're running down the street, it, it feels like what this character is going through in this fantastical world that you could never imagine yourself. And it you always put well and truly in the head of the protagonist and you're always sort of following them through, meandering through with them, sort of through these worlds. And I think it's the sound like that that sort of makes you think, oh God, that we really are alone. We are this character in this situation trying to get through it. But then like, Ghibli I thought the score here was when music the electronic music did kick in not necessarily just for the action sequences but throughout it it just oozed with this melancholy and this kind of uncertainty and I mean I had no idea what what a lot of the motivations were and 
what a lot was happening, but I certainly felt how I think they wanted me to feel and visually as well. There's quite a lot of variety here, whereas Ghibli tends to stick to just one style. Here we had this sort of CGI, we had sort of various styles of sort of animation. There was there was quite a lot from the uh, opening credits, which I believe the Matrix then stole that uh, the opening credits from, have happily admitted that. And mm. stylistically, there is a lot going on visually that I, I certainly did not expect. And it's, yeah, without going on too much, it certainly does all come back to their, the Japanese sort of obsession with, with technology and how far it can go and what damage it can do and where it will lead them as as a as a people and it does like other anime it does sort of have these socio-political questions and sort of how far are we going to go with this are we going to drive ourselves to we're just got these ghosts running around hacking everyone and everything going completely mad and no one's in control anymore and it, it does ask a lot of questions i think it does and I think you said it perfectly earlier when you talked about how existential it was you know what is it to be human what is memory what is life and and I think they ponder all those questions probably a little bit heavy handedly but but they ponder those questions enough to to for me anyway to make it a really intriguing concept and and I there is a lot in here which is a little complex a little bit confusing but I do think it's set up quite nicely at the beginning that you know that's the strain that it that it's going down that's the route that it's going down it does offer that not a social commentary but it does offer a commentary on on where technology might one day take us, which has completely wet my appetite for both the live action version of this and then also other anime. I've always been a little bit apprehensive about sort of indulging in anime because I've always thought, oh, it's a bit cartoony. I mean, I don't really see what I'll get out of it. And I still have some of the apprehension there because, as I said at the start, you don't have any body language, you don't have facial expressions. The plot and dialogue is pivotal to making something like this film work, but it did enough for me to think, you know what? I'm I'm looking forward to Spirited Away. I'm looking forward to some of the other Miyazaki films and and other well and just in general, you know, other anime. I sort of feel now. I don't know if you guys have seen a, a film called Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is I can't remember if it's 80s or 90s, but it's just again, it's the same sort of themes. And I feel between that Akira and this, as much as I thoroughly have enjoyed all three of those films, I kind of feel like they've encapsulated this tone this aspect of Japanese culture, this hang-up on the future and uncertainty of technology. I feel like these that trinity of sort of... And that's a live-action film with just a lot of bizarre editing going on. But I feel like I've got all that sort of covered now and I, I almost don't want to explore this side of anime further. It doesn't have the wonderment and the thorough joy and pleasure that Studio Ghibli can offer. But I think this is... it. it serves a purpose and yeah I think it does a very good job of what it's trying to achieve and therefore <laughs> um, yeah I would give this four stars just because I, would, I think Akira is a five star film and is that much more emotive I didn't feel that emotionally engaged with this but some of the I mean I'm going to be listening to the soundtrack for the next few weeks and some of the various the visual styles it's so scatty and there's so much going on that it, they managed to make 80 minutes feel a lot longer and yeah I think I definitely want to re rewatch this in a few years to see if there's more I can get from it but yeah give it a mid middling four I think I'd go three stars for me I think it definitely has some um, some real positives as I've already said and for someone completely 
naive and fresh to anime. I thought it was an it was a nice start. It was a nice film to 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 get me started, but it was a little bit complex. It did lack I don't know, just like something. I can't even put my finger on it, but I just didn't quite get it as much as I wanted to. I didn't feel as emotionally involved or as surprised or as captivated by by some of the twists and the turns or, or some of the things that were happening. So for me, it's 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 a good it's a good three, but it but it is just a three. I'm excited for James because, the, uh, in my opinion, this is as as from what I've seen. I haven't seen much manga, but this is as bad as I've seen. Oh, okay. The only way is up from here, is what I mean to say. That, that's no way saying this is bad. This is three stars for me. Uh, Akira is much better. Studio Ghibli is completely different. It's, uh, Studio Ghibli compared to this is like comparing Blade Runner to a Malik film. No, this is like comparing Blade Runner to ET. Okay. Oh, came, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But still, three stars. Next time on Straight Jack. My choice. Um... I'm going to go for the new Jim Jarmusch vehicle, pun intended, headed up by Adam Driver, and it's called Patterson, which leads us on to the very deft theme of buses. Well, I think because of the 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 theme itself is um, is a, is a great theme, but there aren't that many films other than the one that you've selected and the one that Robbie is going to select. Uh, or that I imagine he's going to select. There aren't that many films which are exclusively revolving around a bus uh, or a bus journey. So my criteria is is slightly more lax than that, and I'm just saying there's got to be a scene where they're involving a bus. Um, That's that is, that is the name of the game. That is it. So I think I will go with... You know, we've talked about a Denis Villeneuve film this week, so why not talk about a Denis Villeneuve film next week, um, which is his... I think his last foreign film before he then turned to the to the English market and it's Incendies now that is how it's phonetically spelt it's probably said differently which brings us quite nicely full circle back to his film about communication that we talked about at the start of this but um but yeah Incendies with a rather forced hand this week uh, we, I mean, <laughs> you, you the only true. film about God, buses there's guys. so many great options I, I'm fully aware but you can't have bus week Without the 1994 Speed. classic Speed, which is pretty much which pretty much has a bus as a central character. I was going to say when as soon as Ian let us know that bus was going to be the theme, it was the first film that came to my mind. Regardless of what category we were doing, it was the first. I'll be honest, it was the first and only film that came to <laughs> mind when I was thinking about a film with buses.